Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. Hello and welcome to another episode of Irishman Running Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan, over here. Of course, Sonia O'Sullivan over there, fresh from the Penn Relays, the oldest and largest track and field competition in the United States, hosted annually since 1895, Sonia. This thing has been going an awful long time. Is that half the reason why it's such a big deal to everyone? I think it, it must be. You know, it's, it's older than the Olympics, I think, isn't it? If it's 1895. And yeah. I have the program in front of me here, which is this massive big Bible of statistics. And the the awards that the, all the winning teams get is this massive big um, wheel. And then it's got... Um, I'll have to send you a picture of it and you can post it up. Yeah. Um, I think it's Ben Frank, Benjamin Franklin, who was the president of the United States, and he looks like he's awarding. It looks like it's him anyway. Um, I'll be making this up here now if you say I'm talking rubbish. <laughs> awarding these four naked men a prize, <laughs> obviously. Now, in all the history of the whole thing, I actually don't know the story of the trophy. So that's my project for the week now. I, I, I'll, I'll get the story of that. I and you were I was going to tell me. Benjamin Franklin I, was a four-minute miler himself back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been ahead of his time if he was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, the Penry is definitely one of the oldest relay carnivals. And you know, when you're when you go there, I think as part of a Villanova team, which I did from 1987, you know, 1988 up until 1991, you you're kind of immersed in the whole thing because even though it's run by the University of Pennsylvania. Villanova has had the most victories of any college over all the time. And it's just kind of part of what you do when you go to Villanova is that you go to the Penn Relays and you win. And it's a tradition. It's a a rite of passage. A rite of passage, you know, that all the athletes go there and they all hope to come home with a victory. And not everybody does. And there was a time when Villanova won, you know, three relays on the same weekend. And I was a part of with three winning teams on one weekend, two winning teams another year. And um, yeah, you just kind of take it for granted when, when you win so easily. But then when you have a little bit of a drought and you don't win so many, then I think they appreciate it even more. And we saw that on the weekend when the Villanova men's four by one mile team, they won, you know, against teams that on paper were a lot better than them. They always say the Villanova teams have, you know, they have a fifth man in the crowd <laughs> and they've also got a fifth man with the weather <laughs> which can be very unpredictable yeah and pretty, pretty teams, dreary yeah a lot of teams travel from all over the country and you know as marcus said in his interview afterwards which was a great interview he said that you know villanova have to turn up every year whether they're ready or not they have and they're expected to win whether they're ready or not Whereas all these other teams from like Washington, from Florida, from Stanford, you know, from all corners of the US, they come when they're ready and when they believe they have a team that can win. So they can pick and choose when they come, but Villanova doesn't have that choice. So I think yeah. that's all part of the excitement of it. And for me to be here there this weekend, you know, I, I don't think I've been there since 
2013. But it was really, it brings back so many memories, you know, from everything that you do there, from the minute I touched down and I went for an easy run around Harriford College, where I used to run when I was at Villanova. And the things that you think about when you're doing a run like that, you know, the people you used to run with when you were running there, sure, and yeah. it all comes flooding back. It's it's really surreal, I suppose, the, the thoughts that go through your head without even having to think about it. Mm, yeah, the sights and sounds, the smells are all still the same. Exactly, yeah. And the same thing at the Penrina is, you know, as much as things have changed in athletics down through the years, there's so much of it has remained the same. And the, and the, the biggest thing and the biggest attraction, I think, for the Pen Relays is the level of competition in the racing and, you know, races where the, it, the result is not is unpredictable and the crowd really get into it. And, you know, as much as it was not the best of weather this weekend, there was a lot of rain. There was still a great crowd. And you don't see that in a lot of meets in America. I've been to a lot of meets in on the West Coast and there are a lot of races where they're set up to run fast times, but the atmosphere and the energy just isn't there. But you get that at the Penn Relays. And I suppose one of the great things for me this weekend was Sophie, my daughter, got to experience it. And, you know, they didn't they didn't win. They were second and third. Um, but they got a taste of what the Penn Relays, Relays is and a mm. reminder that, you know, it's something to put on the calendar and hopefully they can come back and give it another go next year. Such a beautiful track as well. It has to be said with this uh, part of the university backing onto it. I'll drop in the final stages of this, to, uh, the final 200 metres of this four by one mile relay that Villanova took home. The fans are getting going. Here we go. The battle for the wheel is on. Oklahoma State there. The great leg for Wood Masaudi going three wide. Look Watch at Duke. Wisconsin. Watch Wisconsin in a great position there in fourth. Wisconsin going to the outside. Does he have another gear? Oh, there's a move. Who is that? Villanova. They've kicker races here Washington. Villanova. Villanova. Villanova's going to take the win. They've won on a kick so many times here. They do it again. Villanova goes home with the wheel. Everybody else should be shaking their head in dismay right now. What were you doing? Villanova takes control, takes the kick, and will take home the wheel. 16-14, but the time inconsequential. This is the first time Villanova's won since 2018, and guess what? It breaks the tie. They now have 21 victories in this event, one more than Arkansas, who was not in this race, but Villanova, gosh, talk about an incredible, incredible distance program over the years. We mentioned the Irish team that holds the world record. A number of those athletes ran at Villanova, and an incredible race. Villanova able to take the victory. The team consisted of Sean O'Donoghue, a Dublin man, Charlie O'Donovan, a Cork man, Sean Dolan, who is from New Jersey, you would think is from Limerick. Lee Murphy <laughs> from Millstone, New Jersey. I mean, he often does, he often gets he often gets like uh, accused of being Irish. <laughs> Not accused, he gets noted as being Irish. And um, does Marcus yeah. dole out these scholarships based on how Irish the names are? <laughs> is that it? They must be. There must be something in that. I think. Yeah. And and they weren't the only winning team with Irish athletes. I think there is such a huge history of Irish athletes, you know, coming away with a pen relays. It's a, a wheel that they get. It looks like a wheel, like a, a cartwheel, um, which uh, the thing, it's a huge thing. 
uh, and they all get a pen relays watch as well in the um, men's four by 800 meters Ole Miss one and they had Shane Bracken I think he might have been their lead off leg I met him afterwards he was absolutely delighted that was his first time um, being on a winning team at the pen relays and then the women's four by 1500 where Sophie was running um, had Jane Buckley from Cork and um, and Alex O'Neill and they were part of the Providence College winning team which and Ray Tracy is their head coach and I, I was talking to him while the race was going on and I, I knew he had a strong team and he said we just need to get through this first leg and if we're still in it then we have a really strong team so you know he had played his cards really smartly and uh, I was delighted to see them win you know even though I would would have been <laughs> I suppose a bonus for me being there if Sophie was on a winning team but she got to she kept up until a lap to go so it's all a bit of experience and yeah. um you know, the, the taste of, you know, what it's all about makes people want to come back again year after year. So Marcus said in his interview, and I will drop in some of that interview as well. Marcus, how's this one feel? This is an incredible special moment. It's an incredible special place. Um, and considering the, the platforms I've been on with World Championships, Olympic levels, there's just nothing like this. And I genuinely mean it. And it just gives me a lot of joy to, to see a bunch of young kids do something above and beyond. And I told Liam, just wait, wait today. And I'm, I'm thinking, not this long, yeah. you know, and for him to pull it through the excitement. I don't get excited that much about things, honestly. There's not a whole lot of excitement. But when I watch in the race today, I am just exhilarated. That's really interesting. First of all, he was so emotional. Like, he... <laughs> He nearly cracked a couple of times at the start of it. And even to look back on the images of him running the pen relays, uh, as you said, it's it's a flashback moment. Like he knows what this feels like. Uh, he knows exactly how how important this is to your experience. And when you say that in relation to Sophie, that it's a similar level of uh, excitement, adrenaline and atmosphere, uh, according to Marcus, as the world championships it is and probably even more because you have people there who you know and you know have connections to Villanova down through the years um they're right there and you you know they're you've got a lot of people in your corner Mm. at the event and I was down on the infield because they allow you in there now um to watch if you're coaching to watch some of the races but when the men's before my mind was on, I went up into the the corner of the stands where the Villanova people gather every year. Nobody even needs to tell them where to go. Everybody knows where to go. And you just go there and you're going to find somebody that you know and you sit down with them. And I, the excitement up there when the men won was unbelievable. Really? And they won by, I think they won by... Less than a second. It was a very, it was a very small margin. It yeah. was like hundreds of seconds. Like yeah. one or two hundredths of a second. And it was all about timing. And I saw Marcus on the infield afterwards when they were all getting together. <laughs> he said the day before Liam Murphy, who is not from Ireland, but New Jersey, I think he, um, he just got beaten by a little, a short amount. They finished second in the distance medley relay. Mm. And um, the winning anchor leg was one of Sophie's friends from Australia, Adam Spencer, and he's got a really fast kick. And he was there again. 
in the four by one mile the next day. And I thought, oh no, the same thing is going to happen again here. And um, But Marcus had told Liam to wait, uh, wait, wait till later this time. But even Marcus, he said, yeah, I told him to wait late, but not that late. <laughs> so he just yeah. had it on the line, you know, it was it was like so, so close and so exciting. And, um, and, and as Marcus said in his interview, he doesn't get excited by much, you know, very mellow guy. Uh, but he got he got excited during this. Were you jumping around the place? Was there a bit of shouting going on from the yeah, other I mean, Sullivan I'm, in the, in the I'm, stadium? I'm probably like, I'm probably in the same category of. Marcus and not getting very excited about stuff and I was very nervous watching um, the the women's race so to be able to go into the stands and you know just kind of relax and and watch it purely as a fan not as you know a parent or a coach um, it was really great and to see the Villanova people get excited and mm. standing up and jumping around the place and, and Charlie O'Donovan's parents were in the stands and when the race was over, I said to him, come on, let's go down to the infield because I had a pass to get in. So I, I, I brought them in and they, they couldn't believe it. And, you know, I just got a, a message from his mother there this morning. And she said it's something, you know, it just added to the whole excitement yeah. of the whole thing. And, you know, it's something they'll remember forever to, to be there. And, it, it, you know, it's like, you know, being at World Championships or Olympics, the excitement levels, you know, it's... It just means so much. And that's the mm. whole thing about the sport is when something means so much, it doesn't matter what category it's in. Um, it's just something that, you know, you work hard for and you, you create a memory that, you know, you, you, you live off of that now. And uh, the motivation that they get from that to go on to the next thing, magic. you know, is, 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 is magic. Yeah. Jordan's reading heading over to London to see what lies beyond the shores, Mike, and I really hope it works out tremendously well for him. Hello, you're listening to the Irish Man Abroad podcast with me, Jarnath Regan. This is episode one. I am extremely excited about it. The move to England seems to have worked out for the best as Jarlath's chat show podcast and Irishman Abroad has a million listeners every week. It's always up in the top one, two or three of the most popular podcasts in a given week. Irishman Abroad has earned rave reviews for fancy newspapers like The Guardian, The Irish Times. I listened to a lovely interview this week by Jarlath Regan on the Excellence and Irishman Abroad podcast. He has just returned from a trip to the Edinburgh Fringe where he recorded the 100th episode of his hugely popular broadcast series, An Irish Man Abroad. It's absolutely brilliant. I'm a big fan and it's going from strength to strength. The experience in Europe was beautiful. Jar with Regan, he did a great job. I met him in Edinburgh. The one, the one I like is the Irishman Abroad one, and mainly because the, his interview style is so brilliantly ramshackle. At the start, it really annoyed me. It has to, I re, really annoyed me at the very start. When they sweat the technique, I think it's ramshackle. Yeah. No, I, I think Charlotte actually really is ahead of the game. Actually, when he's interviewing, it's uh, an honour, Charlotte, to love your podcast. So <laughs> well, thanks, great. thanks a lot. Somebody told me about your podcast a few years ago, and I obviously travel a lot. The Irishman Abroad definitely ticked the box, and I've downloaded a lot of your podcasts. And most of all, 
it's a time for honesty, lads. Honest Ken early there. How you doing, Mark? <laughs> Honest Ken, you showed the way in the very first broadcast I heard in 2017. This is from an Irishman abroad. I think you had half of the uh, previous uh, Irish rugby team on it. I was getting, uh, for God's sake, will you, will, you, will you do me a favour? Will you get him off my back? Will you just talk to him? <laughs> so speaking of which, you know, memories that have been created, all I've been reading all week is about the potential for post-marathon blues. Uh, and <laughs> I, I'm like, well, is this what happens to people after they achieve something great? Do you, or, or that's that they focus their mind on one particular goal, that there is that come down to earth. Finney talked about it a little bit in the bonus episode we put out last week for the patrons over on Patreon. I haven't felt it, probably because I've been so busy. More so, what I've been thinking about all week is what could I do differently? And I'd imagine those that didn't succeed at the pen relays are thinking, what can we tweak to change that and make the result different? Which brought us to our topic today, the diet, the, the nutrition. I certainly, sorry, if I'm being really honest here, I didn't really bother my whole worrying too much about food in the lead up to the London Marathon. There is a thing among marathon runners, is there not? A belief among a lot of the amateur mar- marathon runners, that you can kind of eat what you want because you're running so much. Is that right or wrong? Well, you know, when it comes to diet and individuals, everyone is different. And so it's very hard to say what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, what's right and what's wrong for each person. And it's always something that you kind of have to figure out for yourself and you have to find it. And you know, sometimes you can talk to people, you know, I suppose experts in the area, nutritionists and um, people who specialize in, in fueling for marathons. And it just depends on how much you want to put into that. You know, it's how much you want to restrict yourself, how much you want to, hmm. I suppose, how we always kind of think of diets. Go. Yeah, how extreme you want to be. And sometimes with diet, you know, food is something that people enjoy and it's something they look forward to. And it's an, there's an emotional connection with food. And then there's also the connection of food and the energy yeah. that you're using to, to run and the purpose of the, the food that you're eating, you know, for recovering after a long run, for fueling for a big session. You know, there's all these different words and terms that you can use you know, for the simple thing of, you know, eating your meals every day and when to eat them. When you're talking about diet, a lot of the time it's about how much you restrict yourself and how much you restrict yourself on foods that you seem to think are bad and how you weigh that up. And, you know, there's so much diet information out there now and so many different types of diets. Like, I suppose it depends on the type of person you are. If you need to have a specific diet so that you can manage it. It's a bit like mm. having a training plan. It's all written down, so I'm going to follow this. And this is going to keep me going as best I can. But then whenever you look at any diet questionnaire or you're reading about it, it's always about what do you want to get from this diet? What, what do you think will be the benefits or what benefits are you looking for or improvements are you looking for? And then how you manage it. Because I think I've, I was listening to another podcast and this guy was saying how sometimes when you're training for a marathon, you can lose too much weight. 
because you're not eating enough because you're, you're running more and you're eating the same. So then sure. you lose weight. Yeah. And then when you lose weight, you can lose power as well. And mm. you, can, you can become a bit weak. And that's the thing. You don't want to be weak. You want to be strong. And maybe as well as looking at diet, you need to look at, you know, how to improve your strength and your functionality beyond just running. I mean, running yeah. is just one small component of training that's required. Okay. And if you bring in other like strength elements, then I think it uses the food that you're eating differently. So then what it does is it, it changes the way your body looks. And that's why when you start to think, you think you're, it's all about the food and the fuel, but it's actually about the other activities that you're doing to use that fuel and to, to, to reshape your body. And that's what it comes down to. The reshaping, the restructuring and the refunctioning of, of how you run based on what you eat and what you do. Yeah, now you've said a mouthful there, but uh, it is it, <laughs> like it, it like it's all gone in. And I think that it's it, it, it's in keeping with, again, what we discussed last week. You hinted at, you know, maybe you need to start looking to this strength stuff. And if you are looking to tweak what you're doing uh, after your first marathon, I'm probably a good example of the first time marathoner. Uh, the first one goes very well in that I didn't crucify myself, but I similarly didn't crucify myself with the training. I didn't, you know, go military, as you say, have a very busy life like so many people. You know, I don't need any more hardship in my days was my attitude. And when you say it's very specific to everyone, I am holding myself up as a kind of a kind of good kind of middle of the road for people. I wouldn't have attended any kind of specialist class or had any advice on specialist strength training for it. And uh, I guess I am thinking, well, how can how can I improve slightly or improve a reasonable amount in the next marathon, Dublin? without breaking the bank, you know, without having to put my family through, Charlotte's now become a monk. You know, we can't go out for dinner together because Charlotte will only order broccoli. And um, you want to enjoy your life, as you say. We, we want to be able to do this thing without it impinging on our relationships. You've said a bunch of stuff on this in the past. In 2016 in the Irish Times, you talked about going to Jared Hartman and him reading this book where they talked about the the light system of green, orange and red, that you should eat loads of green. So green means go. Orange foods you should eat in moderation and red foods you should try to avoid. Just stop. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that means and if you still observe that? That may have been linked to a book. Was it The Real Meal? That's the one. Revolution, Revolution. Yeah. Yeah. And so I suppose that was a path I went down for a while and I quite enjoyed it because I suppose I am a person who likes routine and structure. And, you know, there comes a time in your life where you need that in lots of different areas. And, and one is also your diet and your food choices that you make. So sometimes you just have to do things a little bit differently because I find I eat the same foods all the time. You know, mm. there's like 
Yeah. It's a bit like I wear you wear the same clothes all the time. Like you have a wardrobe full of clothes, but you keep washing the same ones <laughs> over and over again. Yeah, you keep 100%. wearing your favorites. Yeah. <laughs> so a bit like anything, if you keep eating the same foods all the time, then your body gets used to that. Mm. And so it's not really kind of do it's not being challenged, I suppose, to to use other foods to benefit you. And all these, you know, you hear these foods like ancient grains and um, I don't know, there's lots of new type of foods that people can try that are more, have more nutrition in them. And so I think when you read a book and it gives you these ideas and it presents a list of foods, then you can go through that list and look at things that you don't normally eat and think, okay, well, maybe I'll try a little bit of that and try. So I think variety is a really big thing to look at. And when the, you're the red light, but before food. you say that, was the red light, was the light system just a way of simplifying how you viewed foods in the supermarket and on your plate and how you could introduce variety on the basis of the colours? Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't come up, I didn't put the foods into the traffic light system. They were in the book. Right. And I just used this as a shopping list. And there were some recipes in there as well to create some meals. And, you know, I think I, I change my mind all the time. You know, I go through phases of different things. And that really was a good one. And I, I might actually go and take a look at that myself again, because I do feel at the moment I'm falling into, you know, eating the same things all the time. And sometimes you just need to be a bit more measured and a bit more kind of focused or structured in the choices that you make and just stick with that. For, and, it, and it doesn't mean that you're sacrificing things and you're not living in a hardship of denying yourself certain foods, but you're trying other foods that may satisfy you more and they may benefit you more as well from a from a healthy point of view. Um the one thing was that diet book was, I think it was, it's, it's more kind of a low carb, high fat approach, which okay. is very interesting. And, and, and something that has been battered around for a while that, that, that you know, there, there's obviously two schools of thought on anything. There's quite a few that think that lowering your carbs is a bad idea. There is. And it changes all the time. And especially if you're planning for the marathon, people think, oh, no, you've got to have loads of carbs for that. You, don't, you just need enough. You don't need loads. So it's like everything. I think you need to, if you can do everything in moderation, then you can have anything. And you just have to, I think the variety, though, is the key. Um, I mean, how would you be? Would you eat the same things all the time? The family meals are something that is tricky enough as it is without somebody going, well, I'm going to have this. <laughs> the rest of you can have that. Uh, or even if you're not the one doing the cooking, going, well, uh, excuse me, I think I'm going to have legumes, please. Uh, there, there just isn't time. And you can, you can find yourself having to eat whatever's put in front of you. And a lot of the time, that is repetitive. I don't know a person out there, Sonia, who doesn't find themselves having Monday night as rice night, <laughs> Thursday night steak night, pizza on Friday. Uh, my 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 diet's pretty clockwork that way in that there are just days of the week where things take place and there's a roast on a Sunday. Uh, 
<laughs> like I don't see my diet as being hugely bad, but I definitely have weaknesses. And I know this is a foreign concept to you. Someone who has spoken to us on this podcast about not eating Kit Kats at any point in your life. I I struggle with late night impulse control, shall we say. And that sounds like euphemistic, but I mean, I, just when it gets late, I'm working late, the tendency to reach for whatever Cadbury is nearby is huge. And you don't have these cravings, but you must have, you must have over the years had things that you used to fill up on when you felt that, uh, that low or bottoming out of your blood sugar. What were those things? Oh, no, I mean, I definitely, I, I do enjoy a bit of chocolate, not specifically Cadbury's. I am a bit of a sweet tooth, but I don't really like cakes or anything like that. So I'm very easily kind of, I can walk away from a lot of stuff. But I think the thing that I always find is herbal teas. are just, They're like the answer to everything. So if you have a herbal tea at nighttime and I mean, you can have a biscuit or you can have a couple of squares of chocolate and that's all fine and well. But then every now and then when you do kind of, you know, everybody has these weaknesses where they kind of they have a, a few more biscuits that you don't really need to have the more nutritionally satisfying. You actually don't crave the sweet stuff as much. Hmm. And that was definitely the thing with this traffic light system of shopping lists of foods which I think I'm going to I don't have the book with me now but I, I'm sure I can go to the the library because I was thinking about this today I need to go to the library and check out what books they have there because <laughs> the library is a great source of information because we also it's I mean the idea of going to buy a book is great but then when you stack up in all these books and you're traveling around it's like what do you do with them all and you have two and three copies of the same book, you know. So I think when you travel, it's a good idea to check out a library and see what books they have in there. I'm very much a hands-on, like I have the Pen Relays program here now and I leave that up today because there's just so much stuff in there. And I managed to pick up another one and I, I gave it to Sophie. And um, it was funny, I gave it to her getting on the plane last night. She was coming back here as well. And um, I said, here, you might find something interesting in there and then uh, let me know the most interesting facts because it's got all the stats and all the results down through the years and everything and so when she got off the plane anyway she took the book out and she said I said did you find anything in that in that book and she said here let me look through now and I'll find something and she's flicking through it and there's a picture in there of, of me on a relay team from like 19 uh 89 or 90 or something and she said yeah I found this picture here of this team with the best set of mullets I've ever seen <laughs> I mean Sonia they are mullets <laughs> I have to put the picture up I have the picture here now it was from 1991 I think <laughs> oh no it wasn't it was actually 1989 but they're talking I think that because I graduated in 1991 because they have this because um, they put me on the wall when I was there as well. So I had a big weekend. <laughs> they, had, they have the wall. They don't have the Hall of Fame. They have the Wall of Fame. And so they honor three individuals and three teams. And they get a plaque placed on the wall for posterity, you know, that you can go and visit when you come back again. 
so yeah, I got put up there for um, I what did I win? Two four by eights, two four by fifteen, and one distance medley between nineteen eighty nine and nineteen ninety one. Fabulous, fabulous stuff. We've yeah. we've got an awful lot more to talk about in terms of diet with Sonia. We'll go around the parishes to see what you guys have been running. We'll ask her the question around what is the formula? Like there there may not be a specific diet, but what is the formula? In 2017, Sonia wrote an article for the Irish Times where she talked about this very simple balancing uh, input and output formula that you'll want to hear. We'll talk a bit more about what is a good fat and what is a bad fat. Uh, we need to talk a little bit more about when should you stop eating in the evening? I'm going to be asking Sonia about that and in relation to making tweaks that we can all make, simple tweaks that you can make that will result in changes in your running. I'm going to get down into the weeds with Sonia on nutrition over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. It's how to support the continued production of this show. And as I said before, I'm on tour. I'm on tour all around the place now. I'm going to be in Cork on May 12th, Blanchardstown for two nights, May uh, 18th and 19th, Thurless on the 20th, Galway Town Hall, Dundalk, Spirit Store, June 25th, Newcastle, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Liverpool, Armagh and Tralee. All the dates are in the bio. Why not come and see me live? It's a fun show and it's selling out everywhere we go. But for now, Sonia, thanks for this half of the show. We'll head over to Patreon for the rest. One of the keys to like maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise wise. Imagine, you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress.